With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. Well, for a club that seemed to be having a summer that wasn't going to plan, Manchester City have started the season pretty well. A demolition of Burnley ahead of a win in the UEFA Super Cup was last week's Blue Moon podcast, and now a hard-fought win over Newcastle with the first episode of the Phil Foden Show alongside it is on the agenda for this week. But there's plenty of other stuff to discuss too. Pep Guardiola won't be on the touchline this weekend after back surgery, with Juan Marleo taking his place. We'll be looking ahead to the game at Sheffield United with Johnny from the Shore and View, and we'll discuss the shape of City's squad as it seems there may be more movement in the tra- transfer market before the window closes. Also on the show, Dan Burke will be taking a trip into the archives to look at City's first season at the Etihad. It's 20 years since the move and, you know us, we don't need any excuse to dine out on a bit of nostalgia. But very much in the here and now are my guests for today's episode. I'm David Mooney. With me is City fan Richard Burns. Hello, David. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gore. Hello, David. You alright? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad, thanks. Jack, you well? Uh, Very well. I'm just now trying to think what shape a City squad would be. If you could pick a shape, <laughs> like a, I mean, like a, you mean like a polygon, sort of, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I, I don't know the answer to that question, and you've still well, please, like, please give in. me one later in the show. I will, I will have show. a think, and we'll come back to it later on. Uh, Richard, are you well? Yes, I'm all right, thank you. I'm now wondering what shape City Squad would be if it would be a shape. Yeah, I'm just going to dominate my thoughts. Okay, good. It's uh, it's good that we've not thrown a curveball in really early on in this week's show, but there we go. Um, we're pleased to announce that this season of the Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single city televised fixture over the 23-24 season. And with more than 900 sports pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter whether you're based in Manchester or Melton Mowbray, you can catch every single minute of the action. Keep an eye out during the season for events, offers, content and competitions that put you closer to the action. City travel to Sheffield United this weekend. We'll be previewing that game later on in the show. And if, like me, you're not crossing the Pennines to be there at Bramall Lane, then why not watch it in the next best place, a Green King Sport Pub? That's coming up a bit later on. First, we're going to talk uh, about the game against Newcastle. And um, Richard, we've talked on, uh, well, not me and you personally, but in generally, we talked on the podcast last week about uh, City squad being a little bit depleted. Um, And in many ways, it, it was... It, it, it was almost impossible to tell with the performance that they put in against Newcastle. I'm glad you said with the performance, because say it wouldn't have been if you'd looked at the bench. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the performance I thought was um, was extremely impressive against a... I mean, I was, I was worried-ish about this game. I think it's it feels very early in the season to have a game of that feels quite like quite high magnitude and against a team that I don't think I, I quite buy into um, some of the narrative that Newcastle could be one of City's title rivals. I think they're very good. I think that might be asking a bit much of them at this stage, but you know, who knows? But certainly I think on paper, that would be one of the hardest games you'd expect City to have at the Etihad this season. And for a one nil game that on the face of it and knowing the sort of the quality of both teams, again, on paper, 
I think you'd look at a 1-0 game and assume it was quite tight and maybe a bit fraught. And it never it never felt like that to me. Um, there was sort of a point around was that sort of last 10 minutes where you'd normally be feeling quite edgy in such a tight game where I just didn't have any of that. I thought it was yeah. um, sort of masterfully competent from City in, um, in handling Newcastle. I think Newcastle was a very, very difficult game at the Etihad last year and I thought... Um, they were far less threatening this time round. Remember last year, a lot of the talk was, you know, if if they could finish, um, it might have been a different result. I think City had won that one 2 0. And it just didn't feel like that at all this year. Um, I thought City were, maybe some of that would come down to Newcastle sharpness or not quite getting it right. But um, you obviously can't discredit how impressive City were in that, especially so early in the season, too. Jack, going into this one, I was I was really concerned about Newcastle, um, and City just shut them down really impressively. I thought, uh, yeah, they did. Um, quite a lot of that, of that was down to the down to the shape and the way they played. Sort of, um, they controlled the game in midfield really well, which they always do, but they're finding different ways to do it. Um, it was really interesting to see the, the sort of position that Walker played like really, really high up on the right-hand side, which allowed Foden and Alvarez to sit in behind Haaland. Um, obviously, then when Newcastle have the, have the ball at the back and they're sort of trying to build up themselves, then there is just a wall in front of them, so therefore they can't they can't get out that much. Um, that I, said... Yeah, when... I, also, I also wonder with that as well, you know, is that knowing that Newcastle were playing Dan Byrne on that side, it's kind of like he's not getting forward, so let's push Walker really, really high up into him as well. Yeah, because last, last season... Um, Foden stayed on on Dan Byrne last uh, yeah in that game last year and he um, he ripped him to shreds. He scored an amazing goals, well, didn't he? When yeah. he uh, ran through two or three, including including Byrne. I think Byrne might have come off in that game actually. That's a um, good shout. I can't remember. But he is yeah, he's exactly the sort of exactly the sort of player that you would um, if you were City you would you would target because they've got you know with either Foden or or Walker they can turn him inside out um, obviously in different ways. With sort of in respect to the how they managed it, I thought there were I thought there were a couple of nervous moments when Harvey Barnes came on and Newcastle stretched the game a little bit, uh, and obviously the you know the Rodri mistake um, meant that Guardiola had to had to bail him out when they were when they were three on one. So there were I think there were a couple of a couple of situations whereby Newcastle could have got in and maybe forced an equaliser. But by and large, given Given they've not really had a preseason and they're behind everyone else, it was an incredibly impressive, impressive win. And defensively, at the start of the season, they've looked really, really sharp already. Yeah, um, they look tired at the end, though. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and explain the reasons why you didn't make any changes. It's fairly obvious. Um, but it, it, it was one of them where ultimately they just had to manage the end of the game, didn't they? Yeah, I remember when we went on them, um, uh, we went on tour to uh, to Japan. Um, Rodri was one of the first people that we that we spoke to, and he still—I don't know how long he'd had off, maybe a month—and he still looked shattered. And he said, I've, "Look, I've told the, I've told the manager and the club that I cannot play that number of games again because my career will end early if that happens. Like, I just can't do it." And it was interesting on Saturday that it, probably him more than anyone else, he looked like he was dead on his feet, didn't he? Mm. And you're like game three, and he's. I don't know. I don't know whether that could be considered a little bit of a a little bit of a worry that there might be a sort of fatigue hangover from last year. Yeah, because he gives them he gives them long holidays, doesn't he? But they just haven't had enough this yeah. this time. 
Yeah. Richard, they, uh, the win obviously meant a lot to Guardiola. Did you see his lap of honour afterwards? It was uh, it was Fulham-esque from the end of last season. Yeah, he was loving it, wasn't he? And I think that, that tells you... Um... That tells you quite a lot because he was calling the city players over in in a way that's sort of more akin to um, what you might expect at an away game when players are sort of being urged to go and acknowledge the travelling fans. Yeah, go go and see them. They've come a long way for this. Yeah, yeah. You don't um, you don't necessarily expect that at a home game in the same way. It's normally you know sort of an acknowledgement with a clap around the stadium, isn't it? But it's not so much sort of visiting each end of the stadium specifically and making a big point of it. And I wonder um, I wonder whether some of that is... Like Pep's obviously got a job on this season in motivating the players and, and keeping that hunger going uh, after obviously winning the treble last season. And we all know the, um, the perils that can... Or the relative perils that can come after such a successful period that that hunger can drop. It's not something that you associate with Pep teams at all, but um, I suppose that's because he's so good at managing it. And I guess after a significant three points in, again, what you would expect to be a tough game, and he'd made a big point about that before the game, how tough it was going to be. Um, I, I guess this sort of like, it's not just managing the players, is it? It's managing the whole mood around the club to keep everybody wanting it. And I, I guess firing the fans up even after a game um, and an important one is just a way to try and keep that mood and a really sort of explicit and outward showing of like this is big we are keeping going um, I mean I could also be reading far far too much into that um, <laughs> but you know it, it just feels a bit like doing everything he can very early to lay the groundwork for just keeping that momentum and keeping that motivation as as high as possible and, and really acknowledging the significance of a win um, and, and sort of going to town on that kind of praise of his team and um, and, and projecting that, I th- think is, um, I think it's reasonable to think that might be part of his of his thinking. Now, Jack, you mentioned Phil Foden before. Um, this I felt like was the first game in his career that he absolutely ran. Do you know what I mean? It was the first time. It's what we've wanted to see from him, and it's the first time he has been the main man in a game, isn't it? I would. I severely disagree with that. Really? Yeah. There's been, been loads of games. He's been, been loads good of games. in other games, but it's nah, not like been loads of games where it's been like, oh my god, he's run the show there. Admittedly, none spring to mind because I've got a terrible memory. But, <laughs> um, you go back to the Champions League games a couple of years ago, and he was like the main fella. Yeah. Um, I suppose you. I suppose what you're saying is from a sort of central area. Um, where yeah, let's let's meet in the middle on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally meet in the middle. Um, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, it was it was another display that indicated that his future is exactly where he played on on Saturday. Which you know, how many times have we talked about this on this podcast and people on Twitter and in the newspapers? It just seems everybody's aligned to the to the same feeling that yeah, that everything is going to go through him in the middle of midfield for City for the next ten years. It's just a case of when he gets that when he gets that run of games in that position and. It would be a massive shame now if he didn't. Given De Bruyne is out until the new year, um, it should be one. Of the, it should be a case where he is given that shirt and said, "Right, go and win his games on your own. This is you're the you're the main the main man now." Um, and it's it's the sort of thing that it's the sort of pressure that he relishes. I always think that Foden is better the higher the pressure 
Yeah. Like you'll see him, you might see him on Sunday, Sheffield United away, probably win the game quite comfortably. He might not be at his best on Sunday, but if you stick him in, look at the Champions League final, stick him into Champions League final, he was absolutely, he was electric, wasn't he? Hmm. Um, so the bigger the stage and the bigger the, the sort of pressure put on it, means he uh, he just becomes a better player. Yeah. What what was it that was so good about his performance? What what stood out for you, Jack? I, I, at this point, I don't think anything does stand out to because it's just expected. He's been this good for so long. Um, I mean, the one major positive he has playing in in the middle and playing close to close to Haaland is is a his awareness of a pass is sort of as good as anyone in the in the squad, I think. Now he doesn't have the range of passing that De Bruyne does, but he yeah. can see those little little gaps just just as well as anyone else. Yeah. Um, if Harland had his shooting boots on, he'd have got a couple of assists in that. Yeah, game, that was like, the thing. Yeah. I was sort of like thinking of fantasy football actually on uh, at the weekend and going, bloody hell, he might get like there might be a lot of assists for Erling Haaland here while he plays in this sort of space but the other thing is just the way he receives the ball on the half turn like he just opens up the, the match of the pitch um, absolutely beautifully I think he's he just it's like watching Art watching Foden he's he's an incredible incredible footballer and one that there aren't many like him around and I just hope that they they find find a way of harnessing his talent now after what was a pretty disappointed year last year yeah Richard, after uh, disappointing Jack with that opening question, uh, I'm now going to wonder if I can uh, disappoint you here because uh, I'm wondering how does this affect City and Guardiola going forward? Because uh, De Bruyne's absence, obviously, until the new year. Uh, De Bruyne always takes a couple of weeks and a little bit of time to come back into things. If in the meantime, Phil Foden is really excelling in that position, it's going to be really hard to move him out of it, isn't it? Yeah, massively. and that, But that's a great thing, isn't it? Like to We've been so... Um... Well, I tend to say we've been so reliant on De Bruyne for so long, but actually I think City tend to cope pretty well when he is injured, and that's part of Pep's genius in managing that situation. But we've never really had a situation where you'd um, you'd think De Bruyne could struggle to get back into the team. It's a, we're obviously thinking quite a long way forward, almost sort of based on, on one game here, and who knows what's going to happen um, between now and De Bruyne's return. But it is sort of based on Foden's talent and seeing that sort of extraordinary performance, really, on uh, on Saturday. I suppose you, we move into the realms of, like, do we move towards a, a rotation position for De Bruyne? And he's all, he's like, what, what's De Bruyne? Is he 31, 32? Um, it's not like he's at the end of his career, but I suppose he is of an age where part of the thought process has to be if Foden is excelling in that position as I think we all sort of expect him to, then you can't hold that progress back for De Bruyne. And then I think that becomes a um, a case of Pep picking his games, who's the best for each game. I suppose there is an element of seniority where maybe for um, for some games, if he wants to get them both on the pitch, then maybe Foden still has to give way and go out wide. Because it's not like we're talking about he's going to play centrally so he can never play wide again. Um, you know, Foden's a, a hard-working player and I'm sure will sort of play where he's asked to. And I think he's indicated that himself. But if he is looking like he's nailing that position down centrally himself, then I think the pragmatic decision will be that 
as much as yes, De Bruyne is still going to play plenty of football, you can't sacrifice Foden's progress mm. for for De Bruyne at the stage of the careers that they're at. But then that's that's where you want to be as a team, isn't it? To have that transition so sort of clearly laid out. Um, that's a that's a that's a great decision for Pep to have to make, and it's exactly the kind of competition that you want. And the fact that we're even having the conversation says everything about Foden's talent and progress. Yeah. Now, Jack, um, the other player that uh, often plays in the centre when De Bruyne isn't there is Julian Alvarez. Um, is it is it a fair question that I'm really not sure what to make of him so far? Because he's clearly, clearly very talented. He's won so many different trophies and so many different uh, like accolades in the game. He's, you know, he's provided moments like on Saturday with, with brilliant finishes. But at the same time, up until he scored, I thought he was dropping a bit of a stinker on Saturday. Hmm. Is that your way of saying? Do you think he's rubbish? No, no, no. Because I don't think he's rubbish. Clearly, it's a real. It's like it's it, it, it's a bit of a paradox of a of a question, I guess. Yeah, I would sort of be on a similar line to you. I think um, there are long spells in games where you go, oh, he's not really touched the ball. He's not really doing anything. Um, clearly, he is, but sort of to our or my untrained eye, I can't. I can't see. No, I'm untrained as well. It's okay. Uh, well, I was going to say that, but then I thought I'd be kind. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it'd be it'll be interesting to see how much he plays in that sort of number ten role because basically he's not going to get the starts that he wants if he doesn't. Because uh, obviously they, they play Haaland as uh, as much as he possibly can, and actually last season he played more than I think we all thought he was going to. Yeah. Um, he yeah he's. Alvarez is very explosive in like small spaces, but can seem quite passive, um, particularly when he plays through the middle uh, up front. So yeah, I'm a little bit. I don't know which way it's going to go with him actually, and maybe that's unduly harsh. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of agreeing with you a little bit. I said to said to one of the guys I was sat with on Saturday, going, "What what like what do you think? How do you think he's done?" and Pretty much everyone always has the same. They just like sort of shrug and go, well, I don't really know. Because yeah. you don't, just because you don't know it's what he's doing. I probably need, I probably need to spend a couple of games actually just the full game, just watching him and just seeing how, what he, what he gets up to off the ball and things like that. Yeah. Because I mean the other the other side of it, Richard, is you think of, of some of the goals he scored, um, and he's got a habit of just belting it in from nowhere. Um, like Newcastle, the other one I thought of was Fulham last season. Yeah, it's a useful, um, a useful skill to have um i'm i i massively agree with um with both of you on this i think he's clearly clearly talented you know his um his trophy record at his age sort of speaks for itself like you're not you're sort of not winning that many trophies and being an important player in um in teams that win those trophies if you've if you're not talented and given all the talk before he came to City, like there were a lot of rumours that he'd just be going straight out on loan. Um, and obviously City kept him around, which sort of speaks for itself. But he's sort of, I guess he's sort of damned by who's around him. Yeah. He's never, ever going to be the main striker as long as Haaland is at City, unless unless something extraordinary happens to Haaland. You know, if he wakes up one day and he's sort of, feet have switched round or something like that or you know he starts I don't know if he forgets how to run or something like he's <laughs> Harlan's not going to stop scoring goals is he he's not going to stop being the main striker so 
Alvarez straight away is like, it almost doesn't matter how well he does. He's not going to displace Haaland. It's not a possibility. Um, and then it's so, so what's the compromise? Where does he fit in? We've seen him do it in, um, I think you mentioned, we've seen him sort of take the nominal De Bruyne role, but he's not Kevin De Bruyne. And now we've got Foden, who's obviously, um, as we've already discussed, seems to be the man for that position as while De Bruyne is injured and then, you know, maybe even beyond that. And so it starts becoming a bit of a compromise of how do you get the best out of Alvarez whilst not necessarily playing him to his best strength? Because he's a striker, isn't he? That's how, you know, he's the, the naturally, and, you know, I'm no great, no great tactical analyst, but to me it does seem that he's naturally the man to be the most forward player, whether, you know, striker forward whatever um, whatever word we use is a is a goal scorer and he's a very good one he's you know he, you see some of these goals that he scores like the Newcastle one he doesn't have to look up does he he's got that natural talent of just knowing where the net is and being able to find it but he's I agree that he seems to spend a um, a long time in games where you don't really see what he's doing and I, I think my worry of like players that I would compare that to where we've sort of said initially yeah they're really talented and, oh, they're going to offer a lot to the team once they're fully settled. Like, I think there's a bit of Gabriel Jesus about that, who had a very definite ceiling within City's team. Clearly won a lot, very important player, but had a ceiling and was never going to dislodge Aguero. And, um, like, in terms of age as well, there's almost like a bit of Ferran Torres about it, where people keep saying how talented he is and, and how much he does or how much he offers. But actually it seems to just come in standout moments rather than seeing what he does across a full game. And maybe that's just the way I watch football and, you know, similar to what Jack said about actually, if you could spend two games just focusing on him, maybe you'd see a bit more. So it's not to discredit him and it's not to do him down, but I do find myself sometimes seeing some of the talk around him and thinking um, it's not, it's not really the same thing as I'm seeing, but um, I would never be so bold as to assume it's me that's right. <laughs> I think the, I think the thing about Alvarez, if you stuck him in, if you stuck him in West Ham's team, he'd get 15 Premier League goals in a season, and yeah. loads and loads of clubs would be after him. Like he's obviously mm. brilliant, um, but this like, isn't West Ham. That's the thing. As, yeah, as Berno alluded to, the upper, uh, the <laughs> ceiling is is that high um, that it's just a different, you know, it's like a different sport playing for City, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Richard, let's talk about uh, Kovacic as well because. Uh, so, Ber- Berno. Berno, yeah, sorry, Berno. Berno. Um, yeah, let, let, let's talk about Kovacic because uh, <laughs> there's there's not many players that settle into City immediately. Um, he looks like he's been able to do so. So, um, like, what's, what's impressed you the most about him so far? Well, I mean, I suppose to sort of use the question um, to, to form the answer, like, it how is how he's settled. settled is, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that is extremely impressive. I suppose he's aided by the fact that um, he's obviously been in the Premier League a little while. If I'm really honest, he has taken me massively by surprise because he's never been a player that when we've played Chelsea, and again, maybe this just speaks to how I watch football, but he's never stood out where I thought, oh, God, Kovacic gave us a game today or... Um, you know, di- didn't we have to manage Kovacic well to win that game? Like, I've just never come away from a game thinking he was a, a standout player against us, nor have um, have I seen like loads of Chelsea, granted mostly on match of the day because sort of family circumstances don't allow me loads of time to watch loads of other live football these days. But like, he never seems to be the standout player when I see highlights. And so it's a really pleasant surprise to see him step in and, 
just play like he did on on Saturday. He was absolutely brilliant. Is um, pushing forward, is spreading the play, like um, technically clearly very skillful and very able. Um, so I think just that it is that settling in and just clearly having like being in step with the team already is brilliant. And then you factor in like who he's replaced, like he's 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 taken Gundogan's slot really, and even down to having his shirt number. That would be really really easy for not for him to be overwhelmed but I guess for supporters to sort of be looking at he's replacing a legend yeah a a guy that we never wanted to go and who obviously has gone out on the ultimate high it would be really really easy to hold Kovacic to an unfair standard and actually he's sort of dismissed that as an issue immediately by just stepping in playing his game you know he's not playing Gundogan's game he's playing his game and just looks so so at home and if that's going to be his is standard going forward, then it's going to look like a bargain. What was it, 30 million or so? Absolute steal. Yeah. Jack, I tell you what, he does that. Um, it still surprises me that City midfielders do this these days, certainly deeper midfielders, uh, is that he gets the ball and then goes, yeah, I'm just going to run with it for a bit and then takes it past three men in the centre of the pitch. And I'm just like, surely that, like, Guardiola doesn't normally ask his midfielders to do this. This He's is, got this loads is of, you. He, yeah. he wants like loads of ball carriers now, doesn't he? There's, yeah. There's, there's a lot of them. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about transfers later, but. Eze and, and Nunez at, at Wolves, and both of them are ball carriers. Is that like that? Might be the next sort of the next phase iteration of Pep, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, Kovacic. The only thing to say about Kovacic really is that players or you know, like players say who they respect and admire, and Kovacic is always one where players want to play with him. So if they're saying that, it's a fairly good gauge of, of how good he is, I think. Um, is, it, is this in the same mould as David Silva always used to give player of the year to Gareth Barry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make my life life easier, thank you very much. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I just think he's sort of fitted in with no problem. Saturday was Saturday was easily his best his best display so far. Um he won't get the goals of Gundogan, which is which would be interesting to see whether that then sort of becomes an issue for him uh with supporters online um that like to criticise individuals I don't know whether that might become a little bit of a narrative through the season um but yeah he's just making life easier for everyone else um yeah. and that is the perfect Guardiola player isn't it yeah um Jack you also mentioned uh Guardiola before um it was said um ahead of his transfer that his 1v1 defending was a bit of a concern uh, and then he bails Rodri out in the way that he did but his 1v3 defending seems to be perfectly fine doesn't it <laughs> yeah I just what I what a challenge like timed it to absolute perfection um and like when you were saying about the the game in general and saying about sort of controlling it and I can understand why you would say that but like that was a massive massive moment mm. if Newcastle can get one which they should have done if um well they should have done anyway but certainly should have done if they if they got past uh Kvadiol, then it becomes a completely different match um and that's why you pay the money you know he wasn't cheap was he but there aren't, I presume, well, there can't be many defenders that will be able to do that with three very good attackers running at him. Um, sort of had like company vibes about it um, to the way he, to the way he just halted it. Um, and he seems to be, I mean, we've not spoken to him much. I think we've had like three or four minutes with him um, so far uh, last week after the Super Cup final. Um and he's like 
quite a cool character. Um, oh, that's interesting because he, he comes. I think he comes across so far in what we've heard from him as one of the most boring men on the planet. Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't say that because it's bad for business. <laughs> um, he he just doesn't seem to have any sort of concerns whatsoever. Yeah. Actually, his only his only worry was what he was going to sing for his initiation song. He was petrified we, about that. Do we know what it was in the end? Did he, I did don't he know. No, I've no. not. Um, I've not. Not asked. Uh, I don't know whether they've done it yet. Actually, they were having some sort of dinner this week. Yeah. Um, maybe he's. Maybe it's later on this week that he's doing it. But he was. Yeah, weirdly, like really worried about that. Which I'm, I'm always interested funny. by what they pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it was, quite a lot of them. Like people go for like Enrique Iglesias and stuff like that, don't yeah. they? Quite a lot. I don't know whether it's because it, like the lyrics are dead easy. Like if I was doing one, I was going to say, what would you do? Well, you can't. I well, if there's a karaoke song to be done, I've I always I want to do "Babies" by Pulp because I think that's absolutely amazing um, and very funny. But like, if I was doing an initiation song in front of a load of um, footballers, I couldn't go up and start singing like Yard Act or <laughs> like an Arctic B side. You'd have to do like, don't know, like Common People or something. Yeah. Even though I'd want to, don't know, sing. Interpol or something. Yeah. Richard, what would you pick? Uh, I, so first of all, um, can't sing. That's never, that's never been an issue with these things. Like the, the, no. These play, players can't sing either, but they have to do it. You know, absolutely. Um, but sort of would never do karaoke. So um, I get, I'm just thinking like what? Yeah. I mean, common people did come to mind for me once Jack had said. Difficult, oh, difficult song to do, do common people though. But you can, but you can ham it up though, can't you? That's the thing. Once you get into the whole sort of the whispering parts and like, if you, well, if you, you I mean, you'd, you'd be able to ham it up because you're just a, you're a natural showman. Not all of us <laughs> are. Performer. It has, ha, has, it has been, been said, said yeah, yeah. yeah, not by many people, but um, I mean, it's been said <laughs> just now. Um, I, maybe that. Maybe I think like American Pie is a um, easy one for words full, and full eight minutes. Uh, yeah. First two verses. First two the, verses. The radio yeah. edit, uh, and if I wasn't going like super, um, like super obvious, everybody knows it. I suppose. I mean, I'm, I say that, and I'm about to say Bob Dylan. You know, underground act Bob Dylan. Uh, maybe it ain't me, babe, because <laughs> I really like that, and it's pretty singable. Um, and no, nobody else sounds like Bob Dylan, so you don't have to worry about it being a bit stars in their eyesy. Yeah, we. All, I've only ever done karaoke once, which was on pre-season tour in 2019 when we were in Tokyo uh, and we were down like we were down the Golden Guy which is like there's loads of really really small little bars which is basically people's front rooms where you can only sit like six people in them um, and it was a karaoke bar just around the corner it was about three in the morning I think it was the last night of the tour anyway Paul Dickoff was in there with a few like city bods and they'd been doing a bit of karaoke and they were just like walking out and we decided to do I think there were five or six of us there. We decided to do Oasis and the bar was beginning to empty anyway, <laughs> but it was uh, it was done for by the time we finished. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I, I would never have got... I, I, I don't know how to salvage the rest of the show from that, but, uh, but here we are. Um, this is the show. This is this the show. What it people is, want. It's, what, uh, it's what people want to hear. Uh, by the way, I would probably go for um, Let Me Entertain You by Robbie Williams, but, you know, here we are. Wow. Um, yeah. Gotta, I mean, like Richard Showman, you know. Um, 
let's <laughs> Richard, let's talk about um, a couple of the other defenders as well. Um, Manuel Kanji has been Guardiola's uh, man to step up into the midfield uh, in John Stones's absence. Um, I don't know if it's just because it's not John Stones doing it that makes me feel this way, but I'm not sure I'm as comfortable with it, with it being a Kanji, even though he's like he's done nothing wrong so far. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I think John Stones is pretty eye catching when he's um, in that role and like noticeably does every single part of it well. I think um, maybe I've probably didn't get that same feeling from a kanji but like say maybe that's not so much him doing anything wrong but just like john stones is for somebody who hadn't really played that position and then stepped into it in some absolutely massive games last season and i ran the show and was i mean basically like taking the piss of it at some points wasn't he i think that's going to be a very hard comparison for any other centre-back or any other defender stepping into like what I'd almost now call the John Stones role. Um, that's a very hard thing to live up to. So I think Akanji sort of looked fine there, incompetent. I don't recall him giving me any major worries, unless I'm forgetting something. But there was nothing where I thought like, oh, he's not suited to this or yeah. like this is a problem. But John Stones has set such a high bar for centre-backs moving into that position that unfairly any other player doing it is going to be held to that same standard yeah and of the players that City have available at the moment it's probably a Kanji that you want doing that more than yeah I I guess I don't know not I don't know Stones roll not suited to your pal (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, Diaz's return Jack Um, I don't know if this is just my mind playing tricks on me but it seems to make it seems to make things feel a lot more secure than uh, even at Burnley I don't know if it's just because Burnley played as uh, much higher up than Newcastle did or something like that Mm. and not just because you are Ruben Diaz's biggest fan yeah well this is widely known already but Mm. Um, no I think yeah Uh, you just uh, run out of things to say about him as well as Foden really don't you it's like he's just a colossal defender who organises people and loves the sound of his own voice so therefore he's really communicative and um, just keeps him in shape and and then one-on-one and with like the basic stuff he's really good and I think his I think his distribution's improved mm. um, over the last couple of years yeah he's because I remember us talking about him when he when he came in the first sort of um, few weeks like people were a bit unsure about him weren't they because you remember like Benfica fans surely were like laughing at the fee and going, this guy's just, it's, he's not going to do it. And then they didn't, him and Stones just did not concede a goal in the first. Yeah. And they got Otamendi in return as well. I mean, it's like, like how did they, they pay money yeah. for Otamendi as well? Yeah. Didn't they? Yeah. How do, you, how do you laugh at that? Well, he's like... a World Cup winner. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and actually played, didn't he? Yeah. Amazingly. But yeah, it's like Diaz, it'll be interesting with the uh, captain's vote, um, which is coming up. Uh, on who who gets that because I think Diaz well Diaz really does fancy it so it would be between Diaz and De Bruyne you would have thought and then Rodri in behind yeah. Walker and then Walker, someone yeah. else yeah, yeah. I did. Stones got asked about it actually and um, by one of the, like, uh, the local media in Asia the other week and they said oh, do, you, like, do you want to be captain and he just sort of laughed and was like oh that's just not I never thought about myself like that it's not one of my jobs and I was thinking well you are one of the senior bodies in the squad. Yeah. 
one of the longest Clearly, serving under Guardiola now as well. Certainly, well, he's what is he? The second longest serving now, isn't he? Yeah. Um, in the whole in the whole team, he's one of the most important players. He's of an age. He's clearly bright in a footballing sense, uh, and everyone loves him. So therefore, why wouldn't he put himself forward? But he doesn't seem that doesn't seem that bothered about it. Yeah, no, I understand that. I can get that. I, uh, I if you, sometimes you just don't want it, and that's 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 fine. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's, uh, let's move ahead because uh, Saturday was the 17th time that Manchester City have beaten Newcastle in the Premier League at the Etihad. Ever since the move to Eastlands in 2003, the Magpies have scored just two points from their 19 league visits. Their first, just like their last, finished 1-0 to the home side and it turned out to be a crucial three points for City that year. Dan Burke talks us through a nostalgia fest looking back at the first season at the City of Manchester Stadium. The very first match at the newly opened City of Manchester Stadium was a friendly with Barcelona. Nicolas Anelka was the first ever scorer as City ran out 2-1 winners four days before the first competitive match there. It's a big night for us because, uh, you know, we're in Europe. City had qualified for the UEFA Cup and had been drawn against Total Network Solutions from Wales, now known as the New Saints. The City boss at that time, Kevin Keegan, was speaking to ITV. I never expected it. uh, We didn't earn it by... The conventional means, as you know, we, we, we were, we've earned it through the Fair Play League, but nevertheless we're in there. And it's the first time for 25 years, and it's the first competitive game in the new stadium. So, yeah, big night for everybody, and hopefully, you know, if we do the job professionally, a really good night. City won 5-0, with Trevor Sinclair scoring the opener, a magnificent volley from the edge of the box. It was the first competitive goal at the stadium. Yeah, the TNS game, another simple tapping from Sinclair. Don't score the easy ones too often. So, yeah, it was pleasing to get the first competitive goal at the uh, new stadium. And even before that big win, Keegan was optimistic for the season. I think we're equipped to take on Europe. Uh, we've got a pretty decent, strong squad now. Pretty much a strength in depth, nearly covered in every position, as I would like. So, you know, we can, we can take the odd injury, even though you don't want them. So, yeah, I think... I think we're ready. We'll find out a bit more tonight, but you know, there's there's bigger teams to come, obviously, than TNS. So uh, we've got to cross this uh, bridge now and then see what, what what's put in front of us. The early season form was pretty good. City won at Charlton on the opening day before a one-all draw with Portsmouth at Eastlands in the second game. They then went top of the table after beating Blackburn at Ewood Park. At the same time, they qualified for the UEFA Cup proper with a 2-0 win in the second leg with TNS at the Millennium Stadium. That was the final game in a City shirt for Gerard Vikins. I captained the team. I remember that one, won. Did you think walking off the pitch that that would be it for you at City? Mm, yeah, yeah. I think my, my contract ended that year. 
Yeah, the, the year before I only played, I think, five or six games. So you knew it would be very difficult to uh, to get in the team. But yeah, you never know if it's if it's your last game. And afterwards, yeah, I, I never never played again. Darren Huckerby scored City's second goal, and it would turn out to be his final game too. Keegan liked to bring players in. I think he brought Robbie Fowler in not long after that, or around then. And you kind of know that if you keep bringing players in, that they're doing it for a reason. You know, it's not always. It's not always a good thing, but it's disappointing at the time. But I, I always, always want wherever I've been. If if I'm not in the team, then I'm not just going to sit there and pick up money. I'm going to go and play football and try and play as many games as I can. And that's what I did throughout my career. As good as the start of the season was, though, things started to wane. Trevor Sinclair explains. The curtain raiser against Barcelona and then TNS getting getting through to the UEFA Cup for real. I think it started really well, and and then the season just it didn't really materialise. We had a, a quite a few big names. Um, similar to myself really, a lot of players that had been, been successful at different clubs uh, at the highest level and then come to Man City and uh, it, it just didn't work out as probably as most of us envisaged and uh, it became a bit of a slog to be honest. After three wins in their first five league games, City's form dipped and they won just two more in their next 20 as they dropped down the table. They went out of the UEFA Cup earlier than expected too. After beating Lokeren from Belgium in round one, they were eliminated by Groklin from Poland in round two on the away goals rule. As the winter went on, City were struggling. The performances were fine, but the results weren't coming. Goalkeeper David James joined that January. My first interactions with Kevin Keegan as a manager was the England manager in 2000, the Euros. Kevin Keegan had sort of come into my room and said, you, you knew you weren't going to go, blah, 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 and explained to me why I wasn't going. And I sort of, he left the room and I thought, well, if, that, if that's the manager you are, then good luck to you. Anyway, so being at West Ham, I get the, uh, the, the question, would I be interested in going to Manchester City? Kevin King was a manager. I saw there was there's a bit of conflict. I have to say there's a bit of conflict. I was thinking, okay, but at the same time, the the situation of West Ham for me had changed, and the fact that Manchester City showed faith in me, the fact that I'd actually worked with Kevin. So I mean, as much as I was disappointed with not being in the squad, um, I'd still worked with him, and there was there was obviously sides to him which I really really did admire. He explains what drew him to City and admits he didn't know of the club's struggles at the time. I knew that Man City were uh, I can't say this the right way were a proper football club. You know, they weren't lost in any sort of delusions of grandeur. Um, so there was something nice about that form. And the fact they went to the new stadium, the, the Easter Stadium was the best stadium in, in England. As wins became harder to come by, City found some respite in the FA Cup. In the fourth round, there was one of the most iconic comebacks in football history. Basically what it was, was it was a 3-0 down, weren't we, at half-time, down to 10 men and... Uh, no way back, so to speak, but fortunately enough, we uh, we sneaked one or two goals and then the third one came and you think, right, can you go and do anything? That's the former City striker John Macken speaking to the podcast. He scored City's winner in stoppage time. You're 3-0 down, like you say, you've just had a man sent off, you're thinking to yourself, right, OK, just go out and try and have a little bit of pride, try and stop him scoring, you know, six or seven, and just try and keep it fairly respectable and... You know, like I say, you get your first one and you think, right, OK, then hold on now, 3-1's not a bad result. And you get the second, you think, right, OK, you know, this is it. And you certainly when you get your third, you think, right, come on, then your momentum's with you. You think, right, go on, push on, let's see what we can do. I just remember the ball coming across and thinking, right, get your head on this, John, and see what, see what happens. Joey Barton was the City player who was sent off as the teams went in for half-time. We're down to 10 men, we're already 3-0 down. I'm like, game over here, hopefully keep it like under a cricket score. I remember sitting in the players' line. I'm sure I was with Jamie Redknapp. I'm sure I was talking to Jamie Redknapp. He'd, he'd been left out there, squad. By the time I'd sat down, it's 3 1. I'm like, all right, make it respectable. I'm getting fined at 3 0. Thinking that's two weeks' wages at least. 
three one. I'm like, I'm still getting fine. Three two. I'm like, might only be a week's wages here. Might take the edge off Keegan's draft. Three three. I'm like, might even be a finest. And then obviously four three. And I ne- you never find me. It got lost in the pandemonium of the game that I actually never got fined. That win over Spurs injected a little bit of life back into the season. City may have gone out to United in the next round, but they would go on to win the first Manchester derby at the City of Manchester Stadium a few weeks later. Trevor Sinclair scored the third in a 4-1 win. It was a dream come true that. I have to say it was uh, an ambition that I'd had from a kid. Again, I wasn't having a great time at City at the time. My form wasn't good and I was struggling to get into the side. And I think it was Steve McManaman and uh, Claudio Reyna come off for subs at half time and Kevin went, you coming on? And I just remember going, to the toilet. I'm not really a religious person, but I went to the toilet and I prayed, just give me one 45 minutes of a good performance and obviously went back out there. I think they got a goal back to make it 2-1 and then I scored to make it 3-1 and open that two-goal two cushion up. So yeah, I was delighted to score that. Only, first and only time I've ever took the shirt off celebrating a goal. The most memorable goal, though, was the fourth, scored by Sean Wright Phillips. I actually thought the ball was going to roll out. So like I was kind of jogging at first and then when I realised it was going to stay in, I've just thought, um, let me just go on a run here and maybe we can get something from here. But when I got to the box, there was nobody really in there. So I thought, if I if I get half a yard and get a nice connection, possibly I could cause a problem that it happened to fly in the top corner. After that, a run of draws kept City just out of trouble at the bottom of the table. David James saved some crucial penalties in that run too, securing draws against fellow strugglers Wolves and Leicester. From my perspective, obviously having come from West Ham and having that relegation season, there was there was an experience which, uh, for one, I didn't want to repeat, but for for two that I could use to to make sure it didn't happen. But um, it was again a, a, a funny season. Now you mentioned or you asked a question, you know, did I know what the situation was? As I say, all I knew is that they weren't bottom of the league with no chance. Um, but at the same time, you, you don't expect to go there and be involved in a relegation battle. City pretty much secured safety with a 1-0 win over Newcastle. They'd go on to beat Everton on the final day to make it a total of nine wins in the league all season. After some high moments in the season, for the first year at the new stadium, it wasn't what fans have been hoping for. They've not been as deeply involved in a relegation battle like that in the 20 years since. Hi, I'm Paul Walsh and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Dan Burke there, taking a look back at the first year at the City of Manchester Stadium. Um, Time to look ahead now to the game with uh, Sheffield United. Um, uh, Jack, let's start with the fact that uh, Guardiola won't be in the dugout. Uh, He's recovering from back surgery in Spain. Um, I I guess you're looking forward to Friday's press conference with Juan Malio? I'm not actually there. Oh, you're not? No, I'm going to to Ten Hag because of the... um because of the events at Man United this week. Yeah. So I was yeah, I would have been looking forward to to Lilo because um yeah, I've never spoken to him before. So that's always that'd always be fun. Um and he's very eccentric, isn't he? And yeah. has got his own ideas on on football and the way it's going and sort of the tactical trends and things like that, which I will try and ask him next week if no one asks him tomorrow. Yeah. Uh but I th- I suppose I suppose the presser tomorrow will be um just questions about how is Pep going to communicate with the with the bench? Um, how big a loss is it that he's not there and things like that? Um, but he's got like absolute faith and trust in in Lilo. He was desperate to desperate to get him back as as Sammy Sammy Lee's reported 
ages and ages ago before it happened. Um, and yeah, he's like, how far back did those two go? It's like 96 they first met, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and he's considered a mentor for him. So yeah, I can't see there being any major issues. And Lilo's so good, like sort of seeing what's going on in game and how things might need to be changed. Uh, and has Pep's ear on that sort of stuff anyway, that like, he's basically an extension of the manager. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to ask how much control will Guardiola have, because he'll obviously be watching and, and be communicating. Um, I can't imagine that he's just going to sit back and relax and let Leo take it over. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm wondering how much of Leo's personality we'll see in this, because there, there could be the option, like, we, we might get to see a little bit more of the sort of things he says to Pep during the, during the game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't think there'll be any. There won't be any major radical changes in sort of shape and team selection because it's a collegiate thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, depending on how. I mean, I don't. I don't know at the moment what time is it. One o'clock on Thursday. I don't know how much sort of communication he is going to have. Whether he'll have more than he did when Rodo Burrell took the FA Cup game against Swindon a few years ago, where there was a little bit, but not a lot of communication. Mm. There might, yeah, there might, there might not be that much because he goes, look, you know what you're doing. The players know what they're doing. You help just, me out in game anyway. Just so do it. Just yeah. go and do it. Yeah. Or he might, he might play up to what we all think about him, and it's like he's furiously on the phone for ninety minutes and can't sit still, and he's got twelve screens up with different angles, and he's in a bunker in his house in Barcelona, and and he's all a bit like sort of mad about it. Um, I mean that is the if you were to watch the Sheffield United game anywhere it would be in Pep's house that would be such a great place to go <laughs> yeah Richard um, some of the decisions that uh, Guardiola gets caned for at times uh, can you imagine what he's like on morphine yeah I mean that's that's sort of the fear isn't it that like he has some <laughs> kind of revelation whilst dosed up or while sort of um, bunkered down in his own house and, and got too much time to think without actually talking to um, talking to any of his colleagues that he might come back with some absolutely mad ideas. But um, yeah, it's, it'd be fun to see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I find it very, very hard to imagine him um, not having a lot of contact, um, at least in the build-up and sort of half-time. Um, I, I find it hard to imagine him not being influential in the decision making but then all of Jack's points are very salient about you know it is collegiate and clearly um decisions are made as a team aren't they it's not all just pep so mm. uh, it's more yeah, uh, I would uh, what I would say sorry is it's more collegiate than it's ever been like Lilo is the guy that sort of is a calming influence on pep and yeah. someone he probably like has lent on more than the others, and I would include Arteta in that. My biggest concern is just how much he looks like Kevin Keegan and the potential for some sort of <laughs> the potential for some like traumatizing flashbacks. And I said, you know, I loved Keegan, but the end wasn't great. Um, yeah, but the start yeah. was brilliant. So maybe that's a nice way to mark 20 years at the Etihad, having sort of Kevin Keegan reincarnate back in the dugout. Well, just having Kevin Keegan lookalikes throughout the entire season. That's the match yeah. for, isn't it? You give me an idea for Sunday. <laughs> I um, would, I would love it if you wrote that. Yeah. Oh, you've ruined it. Yeah, yeah, Sad. I Sad. will do that. Yeah. It happens. Um, Jack City <laughs> have had. Uh, I'm plowing on through. Um, City have had an eight day rest going into this one. Uh, given how dead on the feet they looked after Newcastle, that's pretty welcome, isn't it? 
Uh, yes, yeah, they're given a, given a couple of days off at the start of the week um, to sort of recharge, which is funny, really, that we're in the middle of, well, towards the end of August and they're still, but they're already kind of, oh God, we need a, a chunk of days off for a bit of respite and they've only played two games in the league. Um, what the sort of free week does do um, is allow them to work on a bit of shape a bit more than they have done. Uh, they do quite a lot of that in pre-season. He basically gets all his tactical stuff in during pre-season because they don't do any, they don't do your, your quintessential sort of fitness stuff where you're running around a pitch, like the balls are out straight away, um, which is how they are. I don't know what other clubs are like now, but certainly City were doing that, getting the balls out from day one before anyone else. Yeah. Um, and that's the way Pep's always done it. And you speak to so, you speak to old players and like like players of the previous generation talk about preseason being bad because they turn up and they'd just be running for the first week or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, even even Calvin Phillips, I sat down with Calvin Phillips about half an hour in June um, to promote his documentary that was coming out, and he was talking about preseasons a lot. Under Bielsa, they would just be running around the pitch, and he was like, it was such a culture shock. And actually, the sessions with the balls in that first week when you're not fit are significantly more difficult than just running around. And he was like, I was completely used to that. I knew what I was getting into with the um just with the pure running. But it was like when the balls are out as well, like and you're doing short, sharp stuff all the time, it's like so draining. Yeah. Um so once they've done that, then they do like quite a lot of the tactical stuff when they can I mean they, they struggled in, in Asia this time because it was so hot and like training I don't think training was ideal. Um but yeah, so they they've been looking at that sort of two, two, three, four, one formation during preseason. But then weeks like this, just going back to your question, because I've been rambling, um, weeks like this have just give them the ability to top up on the tactical stuff, which will yeah. be, I think, they will see as majorly beneficial moving moving forward. Yeah. Richard, we talked about uh, the thinness in the squad um, already on this show. Um, what options uh, do you think Guardiola or Leo, whoever's whoever's doing the the picking, have for this weekend? Um, I mean, the, the only the only difference, I guess, is kind of if Bernardo's available and if he's feeling better that, that he might come in. But other than that, you're looking at an unchanged team, aren't you? Yeah, I would guess so. Um, I think maybe. Ake could step in. So when I think back to the squad against Newcastle, my feeling looking at the bench was that the only player who could come on and improve... I would say the only player who could come on and improve things because Rico Lewis was on the bench and we know how important he's been at at times for City already. But the only player who I would look at who would potentially have been an upgrade on, on what was already on the pitch if needed would have been Ake. But then if we'd have needed to bring Ake on to improve things, probably would have indicated something was going wrong. On that basis, other than um other than Bernardo um potentially being available, then yeah, I'd be I'd be pretty satisfied with an unchanged team because it was a really good performance and they've had yeah. that week. Um I don't think there'd be too much cause to change anything else. But then I, su- I suppose Lewis could also um, could also step in because he's highly competent. Um maybe Burnley wasn't his best game, but I think is he wasn't terrible either. And I think you, you usually get a pretty consistent standard from him. So I wouldn't be concerned if he were to find room to get him in, but I'd, I'd be very satisfied with an unchanged team. I really, really, really want Palmer to play. Yeah. I was going to ask just about like, Just let him just, just, I know it, go, it goes against everything that we know about Pep and 
Like he's absolute genius and clearly makes the right decisions ninety nine times out of hundred. But just I, I don't know someone that exciting and that talented. I just want to see him play and, and go for it. And Sheffield United away is is one of those games where he could actually take it and take it by the scruff of the neck himself and go and get two goals. And if he does that, where does he go from there? Yeah, that, I mean that, that's that was the other thing. Is obviously that um, Palmer especially is uh, is talk of of a potential transfer away. If mm. he's not getting in the team for for games like this, then he's not getting in the team most weeks. So he's he's going to look at the situation and go, well, if I want regular football, I'm probably going to have to go somewhere else. Yeah, that's well, that's the decision. It's it's on it's on Palmer. Like City, City want him to stay. Pep loves him. A lot of the staff actually really really like him as well. Um, as a as a person, um, but if he wants, yeah, if if he moves, it'll be down to him. Yeah. Um, but then, what will be fascinating to see will be if he does say, "I definitely want to go," and City do what they've done with Bernardo Silva in the past and just price him out of a move. Like, what is stopping City turning around and saying, "Right, we want forty, fifty million through." And yeah. then no one's paying that, I don't think. So I don't know. There's a bit. There's a long way to go with the Palmer stuff. I know we've only got a week left of the transfer window, but um, yeah, it'll be it'll might be one to watch that next week. Yeah. Uh, well, let's check in now with the opposition for this one. I've been speaking to Johnny from the Shoreham View to get an idea of how he's feeling ahead of City's visit to Bramall Lane. Well, looking at the team we had, even after Doyle and McAtee left, we knew they were going to leave a big gap. We, we thought eh, we still got a team here we can build round, and still got a team where we can actually you know, fight for survival. And then, obviously, Illiman and I went midway through the window, lost Sander Berger late in the window. And late in the window, we were kind of scrabbling, really. And it really showed that it's going to be a long season, obviously losing uh, and dying and Berger so late on. But we've managed to bring in some signings and stability is there. And that, that's a bonus because it looks like we're actually building a team now. It's just a shame we're doing it so late in the window. But I'm, I'm positive, looking at the team we've got now, if we had one or two more clever additions, we, we could finish fourth bottom. Yeah. Well, uh, in, in terms of uh, kind of the return to the Premier League, how does how do you how do you feel this squad shapes up compared to the one that uh, you had a, a you know a few years ago that uh, that did so well in that first season? Oh, chalk and cheese, absolute chalk and cheese. We, we've got some of the same players, but they're they're four years older, and they weren't spring chickens when we brought them up the first time. If that makes sense. So, whilst there's still players there that we're going to need to rely on your Baldocks, your Egans, you know your your, your cool heads in in fiery situations. We need younger players in, and looking at the two teams side by side, it is chalk and cheese. Not just from the the way they play, but from the management standpoint, we've lost Jack O'Connell to retirement now due to his injury. So, to to me, we're going to have to really, really think about playing a different way, and and not try and and use that team as a mar- as a measuring stick, because if we do, we're going to struggle. Yeah, um, how's how's it been so far this season? Obviously, two defeats in the in the first two games. Um, I didn't see much of the game against Palace, um, and then obviously it's a last minute winner against Forest. So, so how, how's it been? Well, the, the Palace game, we were all a tiny bit optimistic until we saw the start eleven. That is a starting eleven I never ever want to see in the Premier League ever again, <laughs> ever. It, it was just. <laughs> It was just cobbled together, if that makes sense. We had, we had new players in who hadn't had a minute's touch on the training field, so we, we couldn't really throw them straight in. I know some people go, oh, why not the professional footballers? But do you really want to dent their confidence that bad? That that was the question. Against Palace, 
they finished what in top ten last season, was it? And yeah, they had a lot of the ball in it, but they weren't brilliant. And I do think with two fit strikers, we probably would have got a point in that game. And then Forest, where we again we put our half and half side. Still, some of the new boys not in. Some of the newer boys were in, and second half especially we dominated that game and I think we should have come away with a point if not three but then when we're bringing off academy we're bringing on academy players and then they're bringing on Chris Wood that's the difference isn't it with you the one's going to get a last minute winner and the other's going to make a mistake that's going to be the defining point of the season is getting over little issues like that but I'm confident seeing those two games that we're, we're not just here to make up the numbers despite what Brent I'm sorry Goldbridge says on TalkSport etc <laughs> it's um we're not here just to make up the numbers we will compete and Eckingbottom won't let us just be here to make up the numbers if that makes sense yeah, um, and obviously it's City next uh, at Bramall Lane. Um, I I guess get this game out of the way early. You'd, I don't I don't know. I mean, stranger things have happened than uh, than City dropping points to newly promoted teams earlier in the season. Uh, but I could understand kind of um, I, I I could understand pessimism around this fixture. Like get it out of the way. You never know what you might get. I guess. Well, you've no Riyad Mahrez this time, so it's definitely no nil, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Every time you beat us, it's Riyad Mahrez that scores. So he's gone now. So that's it. Uh... Eric Harland, he'll end up in Jack Robinson's back pocket again and it'll be nil-nil, <laughs> happy days. No, no, in all, in all seriousness, you've got a scary squad. I saw the first game against Burnley and whilst I think Burnley are just the media darlings at the moment because they've had a documentary made about him, they they weren't even good that's last season, if I'm honest. Um, just very overhyped and you didn't get out of first or second gear to st- absolutely stuff them. So we, we know we're going to have to play at a very high level and hope that Pep's been missing you know, obviously, good luck to him. He's having surgery. Never like to hear that for an opposition manager. It, it, we're hoping that him missing, maybe rest a few players, you know, have a heart and maybe stay in first gear and we might scrape a point. Yeah. Um, I, I think last time it was uh, Kyle Walker, wasn't it, that did the damage? A Sheffield lad as well. Uh, in the league, I believe it was, yeah. Um, I say, obviously, we had the semi final where Riyad got the hat trick, but uh, yeah, we'll not think about that again. <laughs> but Kyle Walker, there were some silly rumours going around that oh, we could be coming back to United and then it would buy in Munich. And then it's like, no, why, why would any sane club get rid of Kyle Walker? He's, he's getting better with age, it's like a fine wine. <laughs> yeah, um, let's uh, let's touch on that semi final as well because uh, I mean, as as disappointed as, as it'll be to to have lost three nil, uh, um, you were well in that game for a long spell. I mean, you were defending a lot, and it was it was very much on the back foot. But you were you were making it difficult for City, and I, I, I guess you can you can kind of take a little bit of hope from that, can you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I, if he'd uh, just been a bit more clinical in that, I think it was like the first three minutes, wasn't it? He had that chance. If he puts that in the back of the net instead of wide, it's 1-0 to us. And Alamo for 88 minutes. <laughs> and who knows what could have happened. But it wasn't to be. Uh, but looking at that game, you'd, you'd just stuffed Burnley in the previous round 5 or 6-0. Uh, FA Cup, you beat us 3-0. If we, if we can defend like that, with obviously these reinforce, reinforcements coming in, so we should have better players there, like your trustees, uh, over Jack Robinson, even though he had, did have a good game that day. Um, a bit more ruthless in midfield, I think we need to be as well. A bit more, a bit stronger in midfield. And I think that's that's the only way we've got to really cope with you, is to let you have the ball and just try and cut off your feeder lines. Because if, if it's all right you're having the ball if you've got nobody to give it to. But if you look at City, you're so good at finding those spaces. So that's what we've got. That's the chess game we've got to play. We're, we're not going to out-attack you. We're not going to outplay you. We've got to outthink you. And... Thank God Pep's not going to be here for that because he'll see he'll see a gap and he'll plug it, won't he? 
Yeah. So uh, what's uh, what's Bramall Lane been like? Um, certainly for the the promotion season, I can't imagine it was uh, it, it was a difficult place to uh, to go as a fan. You you must have been uh, enjoying that week after week. Um, what's it been like so far this season for that uh, for that Palace game? Oh, so for the Palace, it was it was the loudest it's been in a little while actually. Um, first season we came back after COVID in the Championship, and the football was dreadful. We had that first season under Slav, and it wasn't great. We just snuck into the playoffs, and you know what, the fans kind of came back and they were a bit demoralised and all last season it was picking up and picking up game after game but it weren't at the stage it was at just before Covid happened where it was a bit of a cauldron uh, and now against Palace obviously 31,000 uh, at Bramwell Lane on a Saturday afternoon it was brilliant loud, proud and I think it showed because the Palace players didn't really do much for the first 20 minutes they were kind of quaking um, these Palace Ultras that are meant to go they must only go to home games because they definitely weren't there for the away <laughs> um, but no it, it can is be that, a difficult place to come yeah is that going to kind of play into this into this because one thing that City like to do is um, one of the one of Guardiola's things is that the wingers and the, the forward players don't actually take on their, their, their men in the first few minutes because the idea is that we keep the ball and we pin the opposition back quieten the crowd and, 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 and say this game is going to be played in our attacking third and you're not going to be able to get out. And I'm wondering if, if if the atmosphere can be a bit of a cauldron. If that if you can make it difficult in that sense, maybe that maybe that's a way to get at City. I think so because I think the longer that you have the ball and don't come forward, that plays right to our hands because we're going to get louder. <laughs> the longer you, the longer you keep that ball away from our net, the louder we will be. Um, every time you come forward, we'll be screaming for somebody to get somebody and this, that, and the other. And every time you got the ball, we'll be screaming for somebody to attack the ball. So the longer we we keep the ball out of the net, the louder we will be, and that plays into our hands. So I think City's way to silence the crowd is an early goal. Yeah. Now, Johnny, we've talked about the players that aren't there. Um, who are the players that are there? Who is, uh, who's going to do the damage if, uh, if you're going to get anything out of this game? Uh, obviously, we sound Gustavo Hammer. Hammer? Hammer? Hammer. I'm just going to call him Hammer. We've got Hammer from Coventry. He, he looks an absolute star. Uh, he scored against Forest the other day. Long-range shot, something we've not scored in a long while since Tommy Doyle scored in the uh, FA Cup. He, he looks like a player we've been missing for a few seasons now. We've got Archer. That's not confirmed yet, but it's it's all but done. I don't. I think it's probably wet on the contract as we're speaking now. But I won't yeah. be too much into that until it is confirmed. Um, I, I think this Souser looks a good lad as well in midfield. Very gritty. Very Brazilian that likes to tackle a bit like a Fernandinho type. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. He uh, likes a crunch. So I, I think those will be the players that we'd rely on for these games. Uh, Defense. We're always looking at Anilak and Hodzic. He's going to be, have to be our rock and he's got to work very hard that game. Attacking-wise, um, not much to go on, really. New lad, Traore, he, he's still settling into the squad. I think McBurney's still injured, so it's it's a lot of kids that are still hanging around there. We, we've seen glimpses of brilliance from Asula. Nearly scored two crackers against Palace, but nearly's not a goal. Yeah. So, players there that will do the damage, it's whether they can actually do it to a team like City. Yeah, uh, they. Uh, one of the things they always say uh, is uh, you don't get anything for a new, do you? That's the uh, that's the uh, the thing. If you you can go close, exactly. but you don't get anything for it. Um, exactly, Johnny. Let's uh, let's have a score prediction for this one. We got uh, we got the charity back coming up a bit later on in the show. Um, I I like to give mine over to uh, to our guests. So uh, what are you having? Oh God, charity bet. Oh, I'm going to be serious, and I'm not just following my heart, aren't I? Hey, you know, sometimes uh, you know, City lose games. It's not often, but they do lose games. And there's, City fans never, ever, ever predict defeats. So if it's going to happen, <laughs> you know, it's always the opposition fan that gets it. 
I'll tell you what, then I'm going to be really optimistic and I'm going to predict a nil-nil win for Sheffield United. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Johnny from the Shore and View. Uh, now it's charity bat time. Nobody on last week's show predicted the 1-0 for Newcastle match, so we remain on £65 won on the charity bet this season. William Hill has given us three £10 correct score singles, with the winnings going to the Man City Fans Food Bank support group. They are, once again, working tirelessly to help support the Trussell Trust in fighting poverty in Manchester. Uh, it's another episode in the one-game-a-week territory, so uh, just one game this time. Uh, Johnny's gone for nil-nil, which is 18-1 to 1 and £180 if he's right. Richard, what are you having? I will go 3-0 to City. 3-0 City is 11-2 to two and £55 pounds if you're right. Jack? 0-4. Four. 4-0 four City is uh, 9-1 to one and £90 pounds if you're right. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change and please gamble responsibly. To find out more about responsible gambling, then take a look at begambleaware.org. Org. Uh, we're going to finish this week with some audience questions. Get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Email through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. You know how it works by now. Uh, we've had a few questions along these lines. So thank you to uh, Peter B, Liam Hanley, Jimmy, Tony the Blue, and Craig, who all sent in similar questions about City's transfer activity. Uh, but we've gone with this one from Lauren Boxhill on the emails, who says, Why does it feel to me like City's summer transfer window has been a complete scattergun with very little forward planning? They got Kovacic in quickly, and that seemed to be a good start but then it took an age to get Guardiol over the line. They went for Rice and missed out. They went for Paqueta and that fell through, admittedly probably not the worst thing in the world. But they also weren't sure on Elise. They might be in for Eze. They might be in for Nunes. All the while, this is after they've let Mares, Gundogan and Laporte leave with reports Palmer may also go and they had to spend a long time convincing Walker and Bernardo to stay. And all of this is after the season has started as well. When you're at the top, you need to strengthen to hold off challenges. So shouldn't the squad have been sorted out weeks ago? Um, there's a lot to unpack there. So, um, wasn't Jack- a question. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just reading out emails, mate. That's all. Yeah. Um, so, on the transfers front, I think the the place to start, Jack, is uh, the situation with Eze and Nunes because um, by the time people hear this, it may already be out of date. So, uh, let's see well, what let's we can not. get in there. Yeah, let's see what we can get in there already. Uh, well, they like them both. They're both on the list. Uh, Eze has been on a list for six months, to my knowledge. Uh, one of the top scouts was looking at him a while ago. Scored really highly on the um, on the sort of metrics that they they do, and they sort of yeah, we're thinking about going for him. Um, but he was sort of quite a little bit low down on the list, so I didn't write anything about it. Um, but then obviously because of the Pakatar stuff um, last week, moved up the list, did he? Yeah, yeah. Well, only naturally, isn't it? So uh, so I'd done that on Wednesday. Wednesday lunchtime I think it was and then within an hour Nunez came out um, on the Athletic as well and so they're, they're sort of looking at both of them and I think Nunez will be cheaper because of the what's going on at Wolves and then obviously yeah. there's a sort of Mendes kind of connection and Mendes is doing Cancelo to Barcelona and City seem to have four or five Mendes players in the squad at all time so maybe it's a case of one in one out um, like a nightclub. Yeah, I mean that's not a serious point before anyone. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so you would expect a centre midfielder to come in. Um, feels like Nunez at the moment, um, because just purely because of the amount of money that they would have to spend to go and get Eze from from Palace. 
even though I think Eze is probably a more exciting player, but maybe like going back to what we said about Kovacic before, it's not necessarily what they want, is it? They don't yeah. want United and they want um, different sort of, well, he wants someone that he can trust to keep hold of the ball um, for as long as possible. So yes, yeah, so there's, so there's that and you would expect him to to go in and do something there. I think with the sort of scattergun aspect of it, I don't necessarily think it's been scattergun. I think it's been, I think just the whole thing has been delayed because of what was said in the question about the likes of Walker and particularly Bernardo and they've taken, you don't go and sign other players before you know what's going on with the ones that you want to keep. Yeah. Particularly with the Bernardo one, because they got Kovacic in for Gundogan. I know like the club was saying that they would sign Kovacic if Gundogan was there or not, which is fine, but that is a very much a one in one out, isn't it? Um, but I, th- I think with you, sort of Pakatar, Nunez, Beze, whoever it, whoever it may be, was linked to to Silver's future, and it's it's good for them that Silver has now committed him himself um, for however long that might be before he goes to probably goes goes back to to Benfica, um, and then the winger they they were they were looking at wingers throughout last season, and there was. Talk of going for Liao at AC Milan and then he signed a new contract, but presumably City weren't massively hot on him um, in the end. And then they had a look at Elise, but they, like, they weren't overly fussed about Elise, I don't think. When it looked like Elise would go to Chelsea, there was a kind of a shrug of the shoulders and went, right, fine, whatever. There was no and kind then, of, we need to get this done now because he no. can go somewhere else. Sort and of then thing. Doku, I mean, Doku was, Doku started doing the rounds um in March, but it was, yeah, Doku was one of those where I sort of got a phone call who by someone who sort of knew what was going on and said, X, Y, and Z's happening. Oh, by the way, they're looking at this guy from Wren called Jeremy Doku. And I only knew about, I only knew of him from sort of watching a Belgium game a couple of years ago that I'd heard of him. But it was like, oh, don't, please don't do anything with it. I'm just like letting you know. And then it went really quiet and I thought they just parked it and they'd gone elsewhere. And then it suddenly emerged a couple of weeks ago that, that he was the one and that they're paying a lot of paying a lot of money for him. Um it's not you know, it's not eye watering anymore, that sort of figure, but it is a lot of money for a twenty one year old who is a raw talent and completely different to what they've got. So yeah, I can see why people think or people would perceive it as a scattergun uh, approach, but I think certain circumstances in that, you know, as I said, Mares leaving was a bit of a surprise, so therefore it sort of changed changed what they were doing a little bit. Because um, the basically, yeah, I don't think they thought they could find a winger that they wanted. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did, look, they'll end up signing four players, which is probably what what was expected. They've only, you know they've not lost all of the big experience ones that people were thinking that they were going to lose because basically this summer has followed the same pattern as every single summer at Man City where it's like oh my god all of them are leaving and then <laughs> and then <laughs> two of them leave yeah. yeah and then it's like oh well yeah that's that's just a, a normal refreshing of the of the squad. Um, They've not, you know, they won't have played many games, will they? By the time the transfer window is shut, they will only only played three games in the league and and one in the, in Europe. So 
even if they'd started badly, I don't think it would have been the end of the world because of the because of the squad. Um, it's just that there's like that desire by supporters to. Some people are actually more excited by signing than they are by the football, and that's just the way it is. That's the way the world is going, um, and that's probably why people are. There's been a lot of anxiety, yeah. Yeah, anxiety, I was going to say, yeah, anxious is is the word, so. Yeah. Richard, um, in terms of a squad refresh, um, again, we've made this point several times already this season on the podcast that the squad has been small. Um, Assuming that, um, you know, they they get Nunez over the line, they've got got Doku in, does does it feel like it's enough that they've that they've kept hold of Bernardo and Walker and everything kind of seems ready for next for this season now? Um Yeah, I think so. I mean I, it's definitely small and losing um like it's very easy to look at the quality of the players that have gone and think that I I guess be tricked into thinking the squad is thinner than it actually is, because what City still have is depth in quality um like all, all the players there all the players that will remain uh with the oh god this is a harsh thing to say um maybe with the notable caveat of if calvin phillips doesn't go all of the players that will remain around the first team squad will be players that i think will offer something during the season and will be called upon it um at various times before we sort of get fixed into that very set sort of 11 in what will hopefully be a title running at the end of the season. So, yeah, I think it probably does feel big enough with the knowledge that it was big enough last season, if that yeah. makes sense. Like last yeah. season, it felt very thin, but they won the treble. So it wasn't too thin. It was just very, very well managed. Um, it was the Goldilocks size. It was just right. It wasn't too big, wasn't too small. Yeah. You took, took the words right out of my mouth. I was going <laughs> to... Uh, uh, yeah, and it's just it's high in quality, isn't it? It's a very, very high quality squad. And then you look at the players that have gone, like Gondwan and Maros, we might not have wanted to go, but they were all players that approaching the end of the season we could reasonably have predicted would go. Obviously, Cancelo, sort of nothing really needs to be said. Um, and Laporte, I think we all knew he was going to go. Yeah, um, didn't I, really I feature at the end of last season. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's easy to think that the losses are more significant than they actually are and that the squad is thinner than it is. But it's perception rather than reality, I think. Effectively, they've lost. Like Cancelo, they've not lost. He wasn't a player. He wasn't in the squad, was he? So yeah. you can forget about Cancelo. They've lost three players. Laporte, they'd already replaced anyway. They've replaced Gundogan. Now, whether his replacement has the same output as him, the jury is out, but he's going to be a valuable player. And they've replaced um, Mares, or certainly with someone out on that side of the, of the pitch. And they're going to go and get a centre midfielder. So. Oh, they're laughing, yeah. You know, and it just it comes down to trust. It's whether they, you know, you talk about Palmer and McAtee and, and players like that. It's whether he trusts them to go and play half an hour in. In a in a Premier League game, which in years gone by he hasn't with the kids. Now it might be this year that he has to. And if there is a year to do it, this is the one. This is the year where you where you say to someone like Palmer and say, "Well, won the treble last year." The fans, I know he's not bad. He'll never bow to the fans, obviously, and no manager should. But this is the sort of season where it's like won everything last year. Let's just see how well these kids do. 
yeah, on a, for a longer period of time. Yeah. Uh, the final question for this week uh, comes from Colin Pritchard on Twitter, who says, uh, Bernardo, is the signing of the transfer window completed with no fee and, importantly, in time for the Blue Moon podcast this week? Question for you. What is your favourite Bernardo Silva moment? The guard of honour for Liverpool in 2019-20 is mine. Total class. Uh, Richard, as soon as as soon as soon Colin said that, uh, I immediately could not think of anything else that, I w- that would top that from Bernardo Silva. So good luck. Well, um, I have an, an on-pitch and an off-the-pitch. Um, and just to be... The, the on the pitch one is the well, I suppose the guard of honor was technically on the pitch, but uh, in, in, <laughs> a, an actual football uh, moment is by far, um, far and away his goal at Aston Villa, which is one of the best goals City have ever scored. The, the side for sorry, I think that was Jack's by the sound of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, I didn't realize you were gonna say that. Um, oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> You can you can you can take that out, David. Yeah, that was not, the worst well, one ever. Yeah. Not if you're leaving Burno in. Um, <laughs> the yeah, that I mean that goal was extraordinary. Um, side foot in, in his stride, volley, top corner, incredible. Um, off the pitch is in the Sky interviews after uh, West Bromwich sealed the title for us in, in 2018 um, and City went out celebrating and I think he said so like John Stones had had called him and wanted him to go out and he said uh, I was in my pyjamas and the interviewer said you were in your pyjamas it was 4pm and he said yeah it was 4pm but it was my day off <laughs> Which, it's like that isn't a justification for being in your pyjamas at 4pm but yeah, I loved it I, I've never loved related it. to a footballer more you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Jack. Have you got anything other than the Aston Villa goal? Because no, I, feel, I think yeah, yeah. the. Um, I was trying to think of like stuff that's happened behind the scenes that we've sort of seen or that's happened when we've been around him. I can't. Uh, there's nothing at the top off the top of my head. Not, uh, not even the moment where Harland picked him up and uh, somebody <laughs> somebody videoed it. Uh, somebody it had been videoed and put on Twitter and somebody just quoted it with, uh, "That is a grown man." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's uh, yeah. It's weird that they all take the piss out of him all the time. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Um, but he seems to he seems to enjoy it as long yeah, as long I, as he's all right with it. Yeah. With the Villa, I mean the Villa. The only thing I can add to the Villa goal is I, I think it's the, I think it's my favourite ever goal under Guardiola. That um, just because of how quick it was and the game was at night and it was at an amazing stadium and yeah, it was just the finish was amazing. Yeah, I actually yelped when it went in, which is very very unlike me. Um, you like but, to show no emotion ever, do you? Uh, well, particularly on things like this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, it's just involuntary. Oh my God, that is absolutely class. Uh, and yeah, there was a couple of people around me that did exactly the same. So yeah, that'll be my, I think that'll be my memory of him when he does eventually leave. But also like the sort of mental celebrations whenever he scores a goal, it's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, He's like, oh my God, like what have I just done? It's like the first time he's ever done it. Yeah, I but liked the, the Madrid I, ones were amazing. That was it. I, I was like, I, I was sat at that end for the uh, Madrid game, um, and uh, I was in the south stand. And the header in particular, um, when he when he scored that, I mean, I remember uh, Duncan Alexander on Twitter talking about how um, it's a, 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 a dinked header was disrespectful. Put your skull through it was his line, um, <laughs> and uh, it made me laugh. But like, the, just the, the way he scored it, and then just how bananas he went in that corner. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was great to see. Sorry, yeah. how how can we not have mentioned you saying corner? Has just reminded me taking the ball into the corner at Old Trafford after running into the box 
is worthy of a mention. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, has, he has got that sort of, like, I think quite a lot of them at City have got this now. He's just a pure shithouse, isn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that it's the sort of thing that immediately endears you to supporters that. I think he's always had that streak um, and they can be yeah. quite nasty and, was that, yeah, it's good. That was the same game, so because I know this is a, a tangent now, but was that the same game where... Walker kept kicking the ball back after the ball by three yeah. to him and then having yeah, a go yeah, at yeah. the ball by. Yeah. It's great. It's so good. Yeah. It's, uh, that all builds into, like, if you ever speak to any Liverpool fans, they absolutely hate Bernardo Silva. Mm-hmm. And it all, yeah. it all comes back round to that guard of honour. So, uh, so yeah. I wonder what um, he had. I wonder whether it, I wonder whether it was a, what sort of tea it was. <laughs> I, I polystyrene I cup. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But uh, did the job. Um, if we haven't mentioned your favourite Bernardo Silva moment, do let us know. Tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, email us as well. Uh, just go to the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Fill in the form. Um, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thank you very much for listening and thank you to my guests for this one. Jack Gorn. Thank you, mate. You never gave me a shape. And Richard Burns. Oh, I didn't. Did you? No, I didn't. I did. I know. Um, I honestly, I completely forgotten about it and I haven't thought about it. So sorry, I've let you down. Mm. About it. About an hour and 15 minutes ago, I googled list of shapes. And <laughs> the best that I could come up with, and I apologise now, um, I'm sort of begging you to cut this before I say it, the best I could come up with is a kite, and then you can just make your own flying high punchline. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. great, is it? Not great, but thank you very much for being on the show, Richard Burns. <laughs> uh, the pleasure, I suspect, is entirely mine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, I wonder if we'll ever see you again. That's the question. <laughs> Um, we've got a clip of this week's Patreon show coming up shortly. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. There's a funny thing about City Chance is that I'm, because I, I use words for a living, I'm a writer, uh, I'm very conscious of things like scanning and and uh, and rhythm. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. aware that pretty much all <laughs> none of City's Chance actually the words fit the song. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost like we've it's almost like we've made a we've made a virtue of this. So I, I love when you uh, hear the Invisible Man song. We're not really here. We're not really here. Just like the fans of the Invisible Man, we are not really here. Now, those words do not belong in that bit at all. <laughs> I don't uh, dislike those. I, I go with all of them. I confess, I, I really quite love the, the Fleetwood Mac will follow you everywhere. Now, now, despite the fact we, that I can never, ever, ever make that high note, and I'm never going to in a million years. Well, here's the thing, is that what that... that chant really really annoys me and it's i think it's partly because i like fleetwood mac but <laughs> the the song itself like it it doesn't it, it has ooh in there it doesn't have our woo in there and like i don't see the point in replacing that bit with something else that is just as trivial as that bit is you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode <laughs>